0: But I think deep down, each of us wants to be noticed. Uh, We want to be noticed. We want to be known by people. So when we we post something on Facebook and it elicits 124 likes, it does something inside of us. It's like we matter in some way. It it makes us feel a little bit powerful. Uh, It makes us that that our lives matter a little bit. And, And it makes us feel alive, sort of. And we have all these friends, right, on social media, on Instagram, and on Facebook, on Twitter. All these friends. Hundreds of friends. I mean, we know, you know that friend went to Adele's concert. We know everything about them. We know that, that person's favorite poolside beverage. I mean, even this morning, uh, my friend Steve and Michelle, they walked their dog 1.4 miles. <laughs> so we know everything about our friends, Right? So we feel connected. I feel connected to Steve and Michelle, even though they live in North Carolina. But really, is it really a connection? Well, somewhat. And then our Facebook profile, our posts, our pictures, they give a version of ourselves that we would like to be one day, on a really good day, okay, on our perfect day. And when it comes to this technology and social media that. Uh, that we um, interact with, it causes a number of questions. And we're in the midst of this series called Life in a Facebook World. And one of the questions that we want to ask, because God has given us good things of wanting significance and self-worth and connection, they're God-given. But can we truly fulfill those in technology and social media? Because the, our, our landscape, our lives have changed drastically as a result of this and social media. It's had a big impact on us. And this device has, has altered our lives in a lot of ways for the good and not so good. And I want to kind of look at both. In fact, uh, the... the the cell phone and then our, our, our little device here, in fact, has impacted even our language. For example, three years ago, in the English lexicon, was introduced the word selfie. It was actually the word of the year in 2013, uh, declared by the Oxford English Dictionary. Selfie. And if you're not quite sure what a selfie is, it's when you take a picture of yourself, um, post it online in case all of your friends forgot what you look like. Okay? It's kind of like a picture like this. Okay? And the... You know, some young people, you gotta, you got to tell me, why, do it, why is it the duck face? I can't understand the duck face, but anyways, that's what, that's what, that's what a selfie is at times. But we post these selfies. Now get this, uh, selfies are so popular that today, every day on the average, we will take t- 93 million selfies around the world. 93 million. They estimate that young adults are high schoolers to the 20-somethings. By the time they die, they'll have taken 25,000 pictures of themselves. 25,000. Imagine that slideshow. Take hours. And it seems like, I think for a lot of critics, that, that we're becoming more self-obsessed, that we're becoming more narcissistic. But I would say that self-obsession has been around since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the human story. I mean, you think about it, centuries ago, people would actually pose on a chair for hours, sometimes in uncomfortable positions, so that a painter could paint a painting of them, a huge painting on canvas. And once they were done, and they paid large sums of money for this, they would usually put a nice ornate gold frame around it, put it in their house, so that all their friends could see their selfie. Yeah, self-obsession is the story of the human, it's a human story. So I would say that self-obsession has been with us for some time. At the same time, though, technology and Facebook and Instagram, social media has altered us in ways we haven't seen before. It's altered our definition of relationships, friendships. It has impacted how our brains are wired. It has impacted how we connect to God and how we connect to others. But as we start with this message this morning, I don't want to begin by all these warnings and you know, all these negative things. Because I think sometimes when it comes to innovation, when it comes to technology and faith, sometimes churches can be cesspools of negativity. And I don't want to do that. I want to begin with a sense of awe. That we have a creative God that would create something like this. That it actually would make a way for us to have a device like this. I mean, if you really think about it, What an amazing time to be alive. What a wonderful time to be alive. Even with all the stuff that's going on and all the evil, this is a wonderful time. If you think about it, uh, not too long ago, for example, my great-great-grandfather was illiterate. He couldn't read. And now, you know, I can pull this up and I can access the Bible anytime, anywhere. I have access to literature, information that some of the greatest libraries in the world centuries ago never had. It's just a click or a Google away. And also, I can, I can have uh, exchange in real time with people whom I love and people I've never met before because of this. It's a wonderful time to be alive in, the, in terms of what we have for technology. And this little device can do an infinite number of calculations, which I really appreciate because I'm poor at math. And also, this device can tell me exactly where I am and where I need to go if I'm driving. No longer do I have to hear my kids say, Dad, you're lost. God only knows where you are. <laughs> Does anybody remember maps? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have maps anymore. We have Siri. And, and my son Alex and I, for example, last week during vacation, we were in Chicago. We do an annual baseball trip, and we went to Wrigley Field. Uh, we have 14 stadiums down, 17 to go. So we were in downtown Chicago, went to Wrigley, and there's Alex and I and we also spent time in the city. And we stayed actually in Evanston, University of Northwestern, the real Northwestern. Just kidding. Uh, I have some friends who are from Northwestern, so I take that, give them a job once in a while. Anyways, we were staying in Evanston, which is actually not that far from Chicago, but when Alex and I would come into the city, and this is the first time Alex really saw a big city, and he was younger when we went to some other cities, but he could not believe on Michigan Avenue, all these big buildings, but the nice thing, is that wherever we went, Siri would tell us, take this route, more efficient this way. There's road construction there. Never got lost, not once. It's amazing technology, amazing technology. And we thank God for that. What a wonderful time to be alive. I really mean that. And this word technology, if you want to take your teaching notes and actually uh, take some notes as I, as I preach here, is that the word technology comes from actually two ancient Greek words that are found in the Bible. The first one is tecton. Tecton simp means craftsman, or uh, it sometimes could be translated as stonemason or, or carpenter. For example, when someone sees Jesus, they, they say, is, is this not the tecton? Is this not Mary's son? It says in the Gospels. And that could be carpenter, it could be stonemason, but, but most of the time it's craftsman. So when, when God, in Genesis chapter 1, says, let there be light, he's being a tecton. He's creating. He's crafting. And the other word that's a part of technology is this word logos. And the Greeks love this word. In fact, they deified it because this word meant reason. It meant understanding. And sometimes it simply meant word. So in John, in his gospel, he begins by really clarifying what the real word is or the real logos is uh, in terms of this Greek backdrop and says that the word was with God and the word was God and that the word was Jesus. But you put those two words together, and we're talking about a creativity, a craftsmanship that gives us a new understanding and a a new insight. And that's exactly what technology has done for us. And that's why we marvel. That's why we're in love with Facebook and Google and Apple, and that we're moved, because we're made in the image of a God who is a tecton, who is a craftsman. And there's something about it when it comes to social media, when it comes to technology, that stirs something inside of us because that's who God is. God is one that brings about technology, He creates and crafts things. And that's where the origin is. And that technology is an expression of God's gift to us as well. But at the same time, with all the, as we marvel and are in awe of that, the not-so-good is that we as humans tend to mess things up. We're flawed, we're broken, we're sinful. And as a result, uh, we've taken technology, I think, in the last 10 years to a direction that I don't think uh, God meant to. I believe that our greatest life challenge, our greatest spiritual challenge today is this, boredom. And this little device promises you You'll never be bored ever. You'll never have to sit alone with your thoughts. You'll never have to have a conversation with somebody you don't know because you have this. When you go to the DMV like I did recently to get my tabs and I had to wait an hour and 45 minutes, and look around and everybody, everybody has their phones. There's no conversation going on. Or at a restaurant or at your dinner table. When Alex and I were in Chicago, we stayed at this uh, hostel. And uh, it was kind of a combination of a home and a, and a hotel. It was really cool, uh, kind of a uh, uh, historic building right in Evanston. And it was welcome week at Northwestern. And so as a result, we hit, there was all these different families. A family from France that was there. They were dropping off their daughter. There was a family from Korea there. So right in that breakfast area was this beautiful melting pot. And, and even though we had these different backgrounds, ethnicities, the one universal thing was, as everybody was eating, most everybody, they're on their phones. So I looked at this family, and not to be judgmental, but I was looking at this family, I was thinking, boy, this is really good uh, material for my sermon. Uh, but th- this family, you know, no one's talking. Everybody's got their phones, they're eating their cereal, they're eating their bagels, and there's no interaction going on. And I was thinking about that that something has happened in our relationship, something has happened in our world, something has happened in our families. Boredom is a serious issue for us. One study found that the average 8-year-old in America spends 7 hours in front of a screen. I don't think God made 8-year-olds to spend 7 hours in front of a screen every day. They say that the average young adult will receive 167 texts every day and this is around the world. And they will spend, I'll get this, a hundred billion times a day checking it. hundred billion. I'm not exaggerating. This is all empirical data. I can give you the references if you want. And, and what's interesting about this too is that researchers have, have termed this, this phenomenon, of this, it's called the phantom vibration syndrome. You know what I'm talking about? It, you, you think your phone is, is vibrating, and you'll be in the middle of a conversation. You'll hear that, that vibration. You think it's your phone. You check your phone and it's not. Or maybe it's a certain sound. Maybe you're at a ball game or maybe you're at a restaurant and you hear a certain kind of sound and you think it's the sound of your phone. And you pick up your phone and it's not. It has impacted us. Researcher Sherry Turkle, she's from MIT and has done great research in this area. And she, she says that technology and our phones and social media... Uh, seem to promise, seem to promise to fulfill three basic human needs. And that's this. We'll have attention everywhere, we'll always be heard, and we'll never be alone. And social media technology seem to fulfill that, that we'll have attention everywhere, we'll always be heard, and we'll never be alone. And we have this cry for attention in our lives. And yet at the same time, God's word says, you have my attention. You have my presence. So I'd like to invite you this morning to open up your Bibles. We're going to go to Psalm 139. We spent a series in that this summer. But you know, I was trying to find some other verses because we spent time in this. But I just can't find a better passage where it, 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 it really answers that. This desire for attention this desire to be heard and this desire for connection that we have that's a human need of ours, and God fulfills that. David tells us that in Psalm 139, starting with verse 1. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. In other words, I'm never alone. Your hand of blessing is on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. God is the answer to those needs. So this morning, what I want us to do is kind of slow down and really reflect on how technology, how social media, how this little device is impacting our lives. Like I said, there's a lot of good here. There's also some not so good. And I I want us to pay attention to that. For example, I came across uh, actually a post from a mom. She has two five-year-old twins, And she, as her twin boys were playing together, she was about to pick up her phone, and then she kind of stopped for a moment. And she's like, my five-year-old boys are right there. And yet I'm reaching for the phone to go on the internet and check whatever. So she did a little experiment. She wrote down every time her boys would look at her to see if she's paying attention. Just in this moment of time. It wasn't a whole day. It was just, a, a, you know, maybe an hour or so in the, in the living room. 28 times. She writes this. 28 times my angels would have wondered if the World Wide web was more important than them. 28 times my boys would have not received the attention most adults are searching for. 28 times my loves would have questioned if they were alone emotionally. 28 times my kids would have been reassured that who they are online is what really matters. In a world where we are accepted as who people perceive us to be and not who we really are, in a world where validation comes from how many followers we have, in a world where quality time with loved ones is being replaced by isolation and text messages from the other other room. And she says this, I beg you to be different, and I echo that this morning. I beg you, God begs you to be different. I beg you to be different, and we can be different in some in a variety of ways. Number one is to make technology your servant, not your master. Make technology your servant, not your master. If I was to summarize the, the phrase in the Bible and also the phrase that the, the church over the centuries of time has repeated so many times is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay? Is, is Jesus Lord of our entire lives, including this? Because your online life is a part of your life too. Is he the Lord of your online life? That every idea that you post on Facebook, everything you write, your phone calls, do we do that under the lordship of Jesus in a surrendered spirit? And I think for us, we can get away from and and, and forget about the lordship of Jesus on our online life in a very easy way. But I want to encourage you to be different. And this is how you can be different this is a homework assignment is have a text Sabbath. One day, one day this week, where you unplug, no phone calls, no emails, no text messages, no Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook, you go off the grid. I know that sounds awful. Like Root Canal, right? Going to the dentist. I know it sounds awful. But one day, one day you have a text Sabbath this week. I want to challenge you in doing that just to be alone, for you to be alone and to spend time with loved ones. And I did that recently where I turned off my phone, went off the grid for 24 hours and had no emails or text messages or Facebook or anything. And, and it was just an amazing time. I was able just to slow down and to read a book that I've been reading that um, I've really enjoyed. It's uh, The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Just an amazing story about The Wright Brothers. I was able to take time to walk my dogs. I was able to, had, to have time to call up my sister who's living in Washington now. I had time to actually play golf with a really good friend of mine and not keep score. And just to enjoy our friendship, just to enjoy this best friend and close brother in my life. So I want to encourage you to make a tech Sabbath. We're going to say, I'm going to shut everything off And just be still. To slow down. To make technology uh, your servant, not your master. To actually be still with your thoughts. And this is hard for us to do. This is very hard for us actually to turn everything off and just to sort of be alone with our thoughts and feelings. In fact, there was a research study done not too long ago. It was this. Would you rather be alone with your thoughts, to be still with your thoughts, or to administer an electric shock with a cattle prod to yourself. Actual study, okay? One-fourth of women said, I'd rather administer an electric shock to myself. Two-thirds of men said, I'd rather administer an electric shock to myself. That explains the genders right there, the difference. But uh, anyways, I mean, that, that, that's just insanity. That, that's insanity that we don't want to be alone with our thoughts. We just want to be busy with all this kind of stuff that we can read and, and post and, and take pictures of. Be alone with your thoughts. Or you know, maybe for you, it's not simply just a text Sabbath, but actually where you declare a screens free zone in your house, that you're so tired that when it comes to the dinner table, that, that everybody has their phones next to them, and they're talking, and they, and they look at their phone at the same time. And maybe you say, you know, the, the dinner table is a screen, screen-free zone. No screens, no iPads, no laptops, no no phones. You declare that. This fall 2016 into 2017, maybe that's a step that your family can take. I mean, let me challenge you to be different in a really courageous way. When you go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom alone. Leave the phone behind. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Leave the phone behind and actually go into the bathroom by yourself. I know that's a hard step to take, but I, I, I believe you can do it. I believe in Maple Grove Covenant Church. All right. Next one, be different. And that's to post with humility. And that's one of the primary themes that we see through the Bible because we have this verse in Proverbs where God says, where God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Both Peter and James quote this in the New Testament. That humility is a big thing. And we've always wrestled with pride, but it seems like social media gives us an avenue. It, it gives us a platform where, where pride can run rampant. Or we, we come at it a, di- a different way, and they have this term, it's called the humble brag. Where we, we actually do something that seems really humble, but we, we post it online to make sure everybody knows about it. It's called the humble brag, it's a new term. And it, there's actually, there was a, a, a tweet where this person uh, put this out there, and, and she said this, I just did something very selfless. But more importantly, it was genuine. And I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. So it was worth it. If it was selfless, you wouldn't post it. Okay? It's called the humble brag. But when we think about Jesus Christ, and who he is, and that we are called as Christians to emulate him, to follow, his, follow in his way, he didn't come as a braggy king. He came as a humble servant. Philippians chapter 2 tells us so eloquently that, that he came not to grasp equality with God, but actually to empty himself and become a servant, obedient to death. That, that's the Jesus we follow. That's the Jesus that you and I are called to live out the best way we can through our own skin, is to post with humility, to have a humble presence online. Next, have a grateful heart. In the kingdom of God with Jesus, I think uh, the great antidote to envy or comparison always is gratitude. Because you know, as I do, that when it comes to social media, when it comes to Facebook or Instagram or what have you, Snapchat, we see these pictures of these people living perfect lives in in, in perfect restaurants, with perfect perfect food, with perfect bodies. And it seems like that's reality for us in this life in a Facebook world, but it's not. We see that and we say to ourselves, gosh, I, I'm, I, I really fall in comparison. My life is terrible and we begin to envy them. And the anecdote to envy always is gratitude. So for example, and this is where technology is good. Uh, I got contacted via Facebook through uh, my childhood best friend, Joe Kuzlick. We were best friends from grades one through, uh, through ninth grade when I was in Wisconsin on the farm. And uh, uh, we lost contact when I moved to Minnesota, but I went to his wedding in 1991, the fall of 1991, when he got back from the Persian Gulf War. But then we lost contact, and I'd never seen him again. And I always wonder about my best friend, Joe Kuzlik, so I would do some Google searches, and I could never really find him or any inf- information about him. And his wife is on Facebook, and somehow she came across my page, and he emailed me via Facebook. He's like, Case, we got to get together. So we had lunch on Thursday, right here in Maple Grove at Granite City, which, by the way, has a great mac and cheese for lunch if you're going there today. But it was, it was moving. Just talking about all these memories. And we just said to ourselves, you know, what a childhood we had together as friends. And, and, and he told me, he said, Craig, you were a special friend to me growing up. And you know, that's the kind of terminology guys don't normally say to each other, Okay. And it meant a lot. And I said the same thing to him. And we just said, you know, let's commit ourselves to stay in contact going forward. Let's not let another 25 years go by before we see each other. So we're going to get together again in a few weeks. And it was interesting as I had that lunch and ever since then, I began to be grateful for that farm and growing up in that area and the friends I had in that school and um, grateful for Joe. And then it began to snowball, because that's the thing with gratitude, it tends to snowball. Became grateful for my family, my mom and dad, my brother and my sister. Became grateful for my salvation that I have in Jesus Christ. Grateful for the Bible that I get to read. Grateful for some close brothers in my life. Grateful for the job that I have, that I'm privileged to have as a pastor to preach and teach and to use my gifts. I can't imagine doing anything else. Grateful for you, my church family, who have supported me and prayed for me in so many ways over the past few months. I can't can't imagine this past summer without this family and the support I have felt here. And became grateful for just a number of things. My kids, my two kids that I have, that I get to have. Grateful for the Holy Spirit who resides in my life. Grateful that there's an original pancake house in Plymouth five minutes from my townhouse. <laughs> grateful for all these things that God has given me. I don't deserve that he has given me. And an interesting thing, nothing outside of me had changed. There wasn't really an external circumstance outside of that lunch with, with Joe. what changed was my heart and my mind. So you and I, when it comes to social media and technology, we got to make sure that we're different and have a grateful heart. Next, who you are in God matters more. Who you are in God matters more, much more. I love this verse, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's where our worth comes from. Our worth comes from the fact that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross so that you and I would have a relationship with God to do life with him and have a future place in heaven and also to be a part of a church community. Our worth comes from Jesus and that act on the cross, Calvary, what he did. That's where our worth comes from. Our worth doesn't come from how many followers we have on Facebook. Our worth doesn't come from how many likes we get on on Facebook. It comes from Christ Jesus who died on the cross. And that's where my worth comes from. So, as we close, a couple of notes. I just want to ask the question who is in charge of the internet? Who's in charge of the internet? During the 2000 presidential race, the joke was Al Gore made a faux pas and said that he had sort of created the internet. Well, he didn't. But when you asked the question, who created the internet, or who is in charge of the internet, what do you think the answer is? Okay, 95% of the questions that a pastor or somebody asks in a church, you can always answer Jesus, and you'll be right. of the time. Yes, it's Jesus. He's Lord of everything. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21, everything is under his supremacy. Even your digital lives. Even our online world. Okay? Because that is very much a part of our lives. Don't think for a second that's just simply a peace way out there. It's a part of our lives. And he is the Lord of the online, the internet, that world. So for us, as we think about Jesus, who is Lord of everything, he's the Lord of civilizations, he's the Lord of nations, he's the, he's the Lord of all people, he's the Lord of every culture, every media outlet. But also he is Lord of the internet. That means the gospel, the good news that comes to us from Jesus Christ. That he brings what's up there, down here, through our lives. And it comes to the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would, I would say we need to tweak that a little bit once in a while. Your kingdom come, your will be done on the internet as is in heaven. Can you imagine if we were to see the love and the beauty and the joy and the peace and everything that's beautiful about the kingdom of God and Christianity being out there online, what that would do? And we see pockets of it. Don't get me wrong. We see pockets of it. But can you imagine if we saw that more? So it's, it's up to us to start. I want to encourage you as we close out this summer, as you head into the school year, is to be different. Is to place your online digital life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to offer a prayer for us. And it's a very good chance that you've never prayed this before. And as an act of surrender, I'd like to encourage you to open up your hands if you feel comfortable. And I simply want to pray for us to surrender our online life to God. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, that technology is an extension of our bodies. So God, we give you our cell phones, our iPads, our laptops. You know where we need help. For some of us, it's the feelings that we carry when we look. Or maybe it's in the words we post. Maybe it's in the images we look at. God, we want you to be Lord over our online lives, to be Lord over every aspect, every square foot of what makes us us. Would you do that with us and in us and for us and through us? May your kingdom come. May your will be done on the internet as it is in heaven. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.